Their parting of ways may have begun when Dorothy, at the age of 16, won a $300 scholarship for the University of Illinois, sponsored by the Hearst Papers, by placing 15th in 20 winners of a contest in Latin and Greek. John Day wasn't interested in higher education. He hadn't finished high school, and neither did his two older sons. In his view, journalists didn't need an education. They needed to start work as soon as they were able, preferably at 15. But Dorothy, regardless of her love for Cicero and Virgil, turned out to be an indifferent student and careless with money. When her scholarship, which should have been sufficient to see her through her degree, ran out, she got a job cooking for a family at 20 cents an hour, then gave that up and almost starved to death. After two years, penniless and bored with her studies, Dorothy left with her family for New York City, where her parents had first met, married, and had the four oldest of the five day children. Enamored by the socialism she had picked up reading Jack London and Upton Sinclair, and while walking through the Polish and Italian working-class neighborhoods of Chicago, pushing her baby brother in a carriage— Dorothy found work with the New York Call, a paper of socialists, industrial workers of the world, IWW members, trade unionists, and anarchists. When she got the job, faced with her father's belief that it was a woman's role to stay home and be beautiful, as Tamar described it, she left her family's place in Brooklyn and, with not much more than her phonograph, moved into a room on Cherry Street in Manhattan. The flat was between the Brooklyn and Manhattan bridges and upriver from the call's office on Pearl Street, near the South Street Seaport. While walking under the Brooklyn Bridge on her way to and from work, she began to know the men on the streets who, as the winter months approached, warmed themselves by fires lit in barrels. For five dollars a month, Dorothy had a tiny hall bedroom in a five-story tenement with a window onto the air shaft and a toilet off the stairwell for the use of two families. As with all the tenements in the Lower East Side, there was no electricity or central heating. To keep warm, people burned coal in the fireplaces, if they could afford it, driftwood if they couldn't, or turned on their gas ovens. The doors, halls, and stairs were made of wood, and fires were as common as bedbugs. There was also no hot water, and Dorothy used the public baths along with the Jewish women. The halls were dark and foul-smelling, but the room was clean, and the family she rented the room from provided her with a thick-down comforter. They were Orthodox Jews, and when she came home after midnight from the paper, she would often find a plate of food by her bed, with a note from one of the children, the parents spoke only Yiddish, explaining that they couldn't serve milk or butter if there was meat. Dorothy would come to claim that it was the experience of living in rooms rented out by working-class families and the long walks through the Lower East Side that would begin her affinity with the hard-up and struggling. This was how her enduring curiosity about people, about their lives and their work began. Could she ever be part of that hard life? Could she even do it, she wondered. The days had never been well off, although they often lived as if they were. When Dorothy was born, Pop was working as a clerk. When he left Brooklyn for San Francisco in search of newspaper work, Dorothy's mother, Grace, took in boarders in their Bath Beach house until she and the four children could join him. 
After losing everything in the 1906 earthquake, including the furniture they had shipped from New York around Cape Horn, they moved to Chicago following another one of Pop's newspaper jobs. When that newspaper failed, Pop wrote a novel sitting at his typewriter day after day in the living room while the children were forbidden to make any noise until he was able to find work with the Interocean. When they returned to New York in 1916, he worked as the racing editor for the Morning Telegraph. The family lived week to week, though Pop sometimes had winnings from the racetrack. He was a gambling man, my great-grandfather, a southerner from a family of Tennessee farmers, though his father was a beloved and respected doctor, described by one of Dorothy's cousins as kind, considerate, careless about his bills, and generous to all, poor or wealthy, black or white. Grace was from a family of whalers from upstate New York, a northerner and a bitter pill for Pop.